0: Fills everything in every way.
1: This is God's word. May you be seated. For love is of God He who loves is born of God And knows God He who does not love Does not know God For God is love God is love Love one another, for love is of God. He who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love, love one another, for love is of God. He who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love, God is love, love one another, for love is of God, he who loves is born of God, and knows God, he Who does not love Does not Know God For God Is love God Is love Love One another For love Is of God He Who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God.
2: We want to begin with prayer. Father, as we come into this very special week in, in our nation, we acknowledge that, uh, that these kinds of weeks, Father, are weeks that mark transitions in our life. That things this week are not the same as they were a year ago. And for many folk, Father, your children and people all over this world, is a time that is marked with loss and a time with, marked with grief and, and a time, Father, that, that is, that's extremely difficult to bear and that's why father we are so grateful that you have allowed us to come into your presence as your children not just on the first day of the week as as a, a family but to come into your presence every day and to know that you are with us and to see your beauty to gaze upon your beauty in such a way that it it fortifies us and it encourages us and it lifts up our hearts in such a way father that we are Truly able to bear all things. And thank You, Father, for for the ways that You work through Your Word and through Your Spirit and through our brothers and sisters to, to help us in these times, Father, when things are difficult. And we're truly grateful, Father, that You hear our voice. That You allow us to pray to You and to know that we are heard and that You are in control of all things. And so as we go into our study time this morning, Father, what we're asking is for You to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to understand, to be deepened and to be more profound as disciples of Your Son, Jesus of Nazareth. And to this end, we pray it with all of our heart in His name and all the church said. In all my years of ministry, I do not know of a single disciple of Jesus of Nazareth who at some point in their life, had to struggle with whether or not their faith was adequate with the testing that they were going through at that time. In other words, one of the ways that we might uh, phrase or frame the question would be like this. Does what we know about God, what we believe about God, what we trust to be true about God, does that meet the challenge of the circumstance? Does what we know about God meet the challenge of the circumstance? A way to to, to maybe begin to get our mind around this question is to imagine uh, ourselves swimming in in a large lake, a beautiful lake, towards the end of the day, late afternoon, early evening, leisurely floating, swimming, splashing around in the water, and then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, there's a fog that rolls in. And suddenly we can't see the horizon, we can't see landmarks, we can't see objects or lights out on the shore. Can't even make out in what direction the setting sun is located because the the light has been so diffused by the fog. And you begin to swim around, fighting off the panic of not making it to shore, but you, you, you begin to swim. You go into one direction and then you go a minute or so, then you begin to lose confidence that you're going in the right direction and so you go in a different direction find yourself needing to float a little bit in order to conserve energy, then blindly striking out again in another direction, hoping that you're going in the right direction. But at some point, you begin to sense that you're fighting against the loss of hope to ever get to shore. Now, what is that like in life? Some years ago, I was helping to coach a wrestling team, a kids' wrestling team in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, 16, 17 years ago when this happened got to know one of the dads pretty well. One night, he and I are together in an office doing some last-minute printing for a wrestling tournament for all of those kids, from kids from around uh, the state of Kansas that were coming to to Lawrence to be a part of that our city was was hosting. And Rick, knowing that I was uh, a minister, wanted to turn the conversation to to some religious things, uh, some religious topics. Uh, God... uh, Generally, but but really specifically about God and prayer. His grandmother was the greatest person he had ever known. Just the, the sweetest, most faithful, gentle, kind, loving individual. The most devout Christian he had ever known. And he loved her very much. And like the rest of the family and all that know, knew this woman, was, was a little bit disappointed and, and saddened and, and frightened, quite frankly, when they discovered that she had uh, this incurable cancer. And she suffered terribly for a number of years and Rick would pray and pray and pray and pray that the cancer would go away and it did not go away. And in the end, she died in great, great suffering. And the big question that he wanted to ask was this. Why did God make her suffer and not heal even though we had prayed for the healing? Or, why did He not take her Sooner. profound question because really what rick was saying was that i don't know how close i want to get to god if he treats his friends this way now there's a lot at a bunch of different levels that's going on in that statement But that's what it sounds like for a lot of people when it comes to unanswered prayers that are continually prayed over and over and over again. And let's face it, unanswered prayers are not a great proof for the existence of God or at least one who cares. And we meet people like that every day that we we go to work, we we go to school, wherever we go in the neighborhood or in this community. We meet people that struggle with that every day. This is is why people walk away from God. The major disappointments of life that in their mind didn't have to be. And for my friend Rick, at that point we're having this conversation about his grandmother and about God and about prayer and about cancer. Rick has lost all of the landmarks and lost sight of the shoreline. But when you get right down to it and you you begin to read the Bible, everybody deals with this. Even people in the Bible dealt with this very issue. Psalm 22 and verse 2 says, My God, He's speaking to God, I cry out during the day, but you do not answer. But you do not answer. But in our culture, it seems like God answers prayers all the time. Here's this guy that crosses the goal line in the NFL with the football. And what is one of the things that he does? He points to the sky and says, thank you. Seems like God answers prayers all the time. And to people like my friend Rick, who begins to connect the dots, he begins to conclude that God is more concerned about touchdowns than grandmothers with cancer. Jesus said at the end of Matthew chapter 6, the very last verse of chapter 6, He says, Each day has enough trouble of its own. And who doesn't believe that to be true? In fact, at at some point, it seems during the day that it's a bit of an understatement. When you think of the images from World Vision or Voice of the Martyrs and others that never seem to make the nightly news, it seems a bit of an understatement. One of the things that we do when we talk about prayer and we we teach people how to pray in our church family here is to pray to our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Yet, the unanswered prayer forms the very barrier that keeps many people away from our Father who is in heaven. And in part, this has to do with some of the sweeping promises of the Bible that we read concerning prayer. Here's a sampling. Let me give you four. In Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 22, Jesus answered, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Matthew chapter 18. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by My Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in My name, there am I with them. John 15, verse 7. If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. One chapter later, John chapter 16. Very truly I tell you, My Father will give you whatever you ask in My name. Now, at first blush, it seems like these are tremendous, tremendous sweeping promises about prayer. And what are we to make of these statements in light of prayers that you and I have prayed that have gone? Now, we have had tons of answered prayers in our life, but what about the ones that go unanswered? In light of of these sweeping promises that seem to be made in Scripture, there are three explanations. There are more than these, but let me give you three explanations to help us get our mind around them. The first explanation is that He's only talking to the twelve disciples. It's twelve disciples only. That these sweeping promises were only made for them. That Jesus is only teaching to the disciples to whom He had invested some very special teaching. And these were not meant for the entire church, but for the twelve you remember that John uh, chapter 15, Jesus says, everything that I've learned from My Father, I have made known to you. And He's talking to the disciples. Uh, Possibly. But you know what? That's not how the early church understood these teachings of Jesus. At one point, the church has come together in Acts chapter 12 because there are some major things that are happening in Jerusalem with the church. And they are praying fervently for Peter to be released, because James, the other apostle, one of the big three, one of the big four, has already been put to sword by, uh, been put to death by the sword with Herod. But Peter is released. They understood, though, that they were to pray these outrageous prayers to heaven in order for for for, for Peter to be released, and he was. Although James wasn't. Explanation number two. Then it's really about your level of faith. It's really about the faith. I've heard preachers use these texts to really chide the church and to jump on the church for not having enough faith. That if you had enough faith, if you prayed the right kind of prayer with the right kind of faith, then all of this stuff is going to happen. Be, you know, Pray these outrageous prayers like this. And expect them to be answered. But here's the thing with that. What do we do with the prayers of Jesus and Paul? Jesus' faith was not enough in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter twenty two for God to grant his request to let the cup pass from him. Or Paul, a sinner, but but of great piety, dealing with some kind of an issue, probably poor, painful eyesight, did he not have sufficient faith to have God remove the thorn in the flesh? Are we saying that Jesus did not have enough faith? And that's why his prayer was not answered? That Paul did not have enough faith? Paul is the one that gets stoned there in Lystra and dragged out of the city. And then once he wakes up, they think he's dead. He, 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 he wakes up unconscious, goes back in the city. A day later, he's back in Antioch, the city. And then he's on to Antioch in Syria and then out into Jerusalem and continues the mission. Are we saying that he does not have faith enough? Or explanation number three, which is the one that that I I stand on, that we're not to miss the three little words in these passages, in my name. Those three words imply a very, very profound relationship. If, If not, then it just becomes magic. Magic is nothing more than trying to manipulate the powers of the universe, the the great powers in the universe in order to do what it is that I need to have done or want to have done. I use the right words and I'm manipulating the magic, the power in the universe to do it. If it's not about relationship, then saying in the name of Jesus just becomes magic. Anybody can say in the name of Jesus. But Jesus says if I am in you and my words are in you, then you're going to pray according to the things that are most important to me. I had that teenager one time tell me that he had given up believing in God. And I said, why? And he said, well, uh, because I prayed for tickets to the Madonna concert and I didn't get any. When you pray... In the name of Jesus, you are praying in a relationship. You are praying according to His words and to His teachings. If, if Jesus and His Word are in you, then you don't pray for the new Ford pickup or the Lamborghini, but you pray according to the will of God. Which becomes important in understanding the limitations that Jesus put on His own prayers. Jesus prayed in Luke chapter 22 for the cup to pass, Correct? But what was the limitation He placed on that? If your will be done. He told Peter that He was going to be sifted. And not just Peter, but all of the disciples. That they were going to be sifted by Satan. That Satan had spoken their names in the ear of God and had asked to sift them. And what is it that Jesus prayed for? He prayed that His faith would stand firm. That His faith would be sufficient. That his faith would be adequate. Not that the sifting would not take place. Now there are some things, church, that we pray for unconditionally. The development of the fruit of the Spirit. We pray... Outrageous prayers for, without conditions, that God's love, that God's faithfulness, that His kindness, His gentleness, all of these things—the joy, the peace—all of these things that are a a result of the Spirit in our life being active—we pray without condition for those things to explode and to blossom in our life, that they become so noticed that people can't help but but see that fruit in our life. We pray for complete forgiveness. Uh, Developing compassion for the poor and the oppressed in the world. We pray for injustices to be made right in the world. The prayers prayed in the name implies that God ultimately is in control of the universe and that is a fact to be trusted. And so, in searching for these landmarks in our prayer life, especially in light of the things that we, we face in this life that are not pleasant and painful and sometimes we never get an answer for, What do we remember? Number one, remember that the world is falling. What that means is that there are times when nature gets unruly. That there are times when we encounter deep pools of wickedness and evil. That there are times when the genes and the chromosomes and the DNA go haywire and we must never forget that and it, it 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 falls the fallenness of of the world is something that we experience because we live in this world fallen as it is we are not protected we are not we are not isolated from the painfulness that comes because the world is fallen because of the sin that was introduced to it that as long as we are in this world, we must remember that our experience of this world at times beautiful and gracious and breathtaking and inspiring and it will strike us with awe But there are other times when we experience the other part of this world. And because we remember that the world has fallen and because we experience the world as fallen, we have to beware of formulaic praying. There are just no simple answers outside of the fact that the world is thus and thus have we made it to explain the fallenness of the world. There are things that happen to us that sometimes we don't ever really get an answer to or a reason for. I mean, that was part of the wager in Job at the beginning of Job, right? Part of the wager between Satan and God is that Job is going to be kept in the dark. And because there are not simplistic answers that come to us... We have to beware of formulate praying. Every once in a while, we can get into the habit or we can get into the, the practice of treating God like a slot machine. You know what a slot machine is? Right? Not that I want to see a show of hands of anybody has been at a casino. But we've seen it on TV. Can we agree on that? We've seen it on television. We think that if you put enough coins in and coins in, coins in, coins in, coins in, and you pull the lever, then the, the cylinder is going to spin and the right letters are going to come up, or the right numbers, and the right fruit going to come up, and we hit the jackpot. And we think that we pray and 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 we pull the arm, we pull the arm, we pull the arm, that we're going to hit the jackpot. And it takes, we think it takes maybe a lot of prayers to finally get what it is that we want. But. Prayer does not work according to this formula. Prayer does not work if, you you know, I think all I've got to do is clean up my life, I've got to say the right words, and the end result is going to be answered prayers. And praying in a formulaic way is only going to lead to disillusionment because it's terrible theology. And it's a complete misunderstanding of the nature and the character of God. C.S. Lewis once said, may it be the real I who speaks and may it be the real thou that I speak to. We're speaking to the Creator of the heavens and the earth who is the author of our salvation. It is about a relationship. It's about praying to a Father. It's it's praying to a Creator. It's praying to the Shepherd of our souls. It's praying to the One who has complete and ultimate (laughs) patience. And love and mercy and compassion for us. Not a slot machine. And sometimes the answer to our prayers are not the ones that we've actually been asking for. The the third thing that I would say, I want to talk more about who God is in a minute, but consider that alternative answers to prayer might be what come your way. Philip Yancey wrote in a book on prayer, he says, the trail of God at work rarely follows a straight line. Which means our prayers may well produce different answers than we expect. Sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray and an answer does come. We may not see it at first because it's not the answer we're looking for. But we begin to see that God is working in our life. I I have a friend in ministry he's a professor at Pepperdine University. He and I worked together at another church in another state. And my friend went through one of the nightmares of ministry his wife decided to leave him wanted nothing to do with him not only what what made it a nightmare was not just the grief and the suffering of going through a divorce and his wife saying i don't want to be with you anymore i don't want to be married to you anymore i want to break the, these vows with you in order to, to to get out of this relationship but what also contributed to it being a nightmare is that Sometimes, and you know this to be true, sometimes the church piles on and makes it worse. He prayed and he prayed and has prayed for his wife to return. And she did not. But what God did instead, not that God willed the divorce, God hates divorce. But what happened instead is that God sent people to stand beside him in his darkest moments. That what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter one actually came became a reality in his life. He says, "Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in what all our troubles." So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you know that that sometimes you're the answer to prayer? You are the answer to prayer. That sometimes God in, in, in the mystery of His infinite will that sees things that we don't see from a vantage point that we don't have, there, there is, there is a, a trajectory that our life takes that is sometimes filled with pain and sometimes it's filled with anguish and suffering and sorrow. And the answer to our prayer is that God moves a person or people into relationship with us or to stand beside us on that trajectory, on that journey, on that path that help to sustain us and encourage us and for us not to feel that we are alone. It's something tangible that we experience. That God works through people. And sometimes that's the answer. And that's why fellowship is, is, is more than what we eat. There's more to fellowship than fried chicken and mashed potatoes, even though that's a pretty good start. But sometimes the answer to prayer is the fellowship that we have with people that have gone through the exact same thing that we've gone through. And they help to sustain us by by praying with us and crying with us and laughing with us and, and giving us advice and giving us pieces of wisdom and saying, I know, I know how this feels. And it's not just some platitude. It's not just trying to find some identity, connection with that person. They really know what it's like to go through that because they really did go through it. And then the last thing, and this is the big one, and this kind of gets back to the C.S. Lewis quote. There, there, there is no substitute for daily keeping company with God. As I grow in my knowledge of God and God's character, I do find myself praying outrageous prayers. God is, God is the inspiration for all of my prayers, not the unanswered ones that, that in my limited knowledge do not have insight enough or vision enough to be able to discern. I find myself praying outrageous prayers even though I know that they may not line up completely with the will of God or might be answered in ways that I don't expect or maybe not answered at all. But you know why I pray? Because I am a living incompleteness. I pray because I'm empty as a human being and I need God's enrichment. Prayer is where I, and it's where you, it's where all of us together in faith, prayer is where God and human beings meet. He is our Father who is not reluctant in heaven. Our prayers are not a spasm of words lost in in a cosmic indifference as George Buttrick would try to describe it. And that's why we learn to live with the patience of the mystery. The mystery of, of, of God's ways that are too big for us, that are unfathomable, that are beyond our finiteness. Uh, Kurt Nickham in the Romans Insight Seminar said something that I, I wrote down and have thought about ever since. He talked about one of the big differences between the ancient world in the modern world, is this. In the ancient world, they were very comfortable with not understanding everything about the universe. They were very comfortable with the idea of mystery, that there was something out there that we as finite human beings with finite brains and and, and, and finite ways of understanding and finite ways of thinking could not get our mind around. That the ancient world was much more comfortable with mystery than we are. The ancient world was okay with not knowing all because the finite mind had to trust God. That God knew what he was doing. Our world instead is not satisfied with not having compelling reasons that explain everything. And and think 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 about the patience part of it. Think about the span, the enormous time span between the fall of Adam and the reconciliation brought by the cross of Jesus. The years and the years and the years. The centuries and the centuries. Abraham waiting for a child. Israel waiting for liberation from slavery. Prophets writing about the Messiah to come. All of those years. All of that time. All of that heartache. And then on a a special day... In Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem, there is born a Messiah. The prophet Isaiah said, Blessed are all who wait for him. I don't know if I've answered all of your questions about prayers that go unanswered. But what I believe is that we pray, we strive. This is why this is why knowing the Word of God is so important. We strive to pray according to the will of God in our life. Knowing that the will of God, as disciples of Jesus, the will of God in our heart trumps everything. And I live in a fallen world. You live in a fallen world. There are things that happen to us and happen to the people that we love that we may or may not understand or ever understand. But what we realize is that when we encounter those experiences in life where it just seems like the bottom is falling out beneath our feet, being simplistic or or formulaic in our praying just doesn't really cut it anymore. And that's why we keep company with God. We keep company with God that when the terrible things begin to come, the painful things become to invade and intrude into our life, and the shadow, the specter of, of anguish and sorrow begins to fall across our pathway, we know that we do not go alone. A trivia question. What comes after Psalm 22? Psalm Twenty-three. Psalm 22, the psalm is the saying, God, I, I pray all day and You do not answer. And at night, my prayers don't cease. Psalm 23 is the mirror. It says, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. Nothing I need outside of that. Still waters, green pastures. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, not alone. Because He goes with us. And what happens in the presence of our enemies? Those that wish us harm. Those that would bring us down. Those that would bring our fall. What does God do? He prepares a what? A table. A table. And the thing that sustains us when we don't have the answers and we don't have the reason and it seems overly complicated and it seems just beyond our ability is to know God profoundly. Which we do through His Spirit. Which we do through His Word. Which we do through the Christ that revealed Him perfectly. And we know that we keep company with God every day. And He with us, regardless of what it is, how deep that valley we go into, and sometimes those, those prayers are not answered the way that we would expect. Sometimes the answer is a no. But sometimes the answer is a person or people who come and stand beside us or, or some other way that the prayer is answered. But it's answered according to His will. That's why the formulaic praying does not work. That's, God is not a slot machine. You just don't keep throwing the prayers in there and pull the arm and get what you want, hopefully. But it's about a relationship. Is about a relationship that is as profound as any. It meets all of the needs of our hearts. And that is why we keep taking it one day at a time. That's why we allow the trouble of the day to be sufficient for itself. That's why we worship. That's, that's, that's why we pray on a daily basis for all of these things. And we pray outrageous prayers because we know that God is an outrageous God. We're going to sing a song right now. And maybe there's some ways that we can minister to you. Maybe you're going through a rough patch right now and you need the prayers of the church. You need, you need to be sustained. You need help. You need encouragement. You need all of these things. Or our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Or maybe it's time for you to make that relationship with God eternal by changing your life and having your sins washed away and receiving God's Spirit and living according to His will every day. Whatever those needs might be, we're going to have some of our spiritual leaders, our shepherds down here at the front, come down and talk to them as we stand and we praise God together.
1: Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables stray, will your anchor drift or firm remain?